Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh, stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams. Five Strangest Suicides Ever Reported People will always have different reasons for committing suicide. Not only does this tragic solution put an end to the lives of those who chose to call it quits, but also causes extreme pain and lasting trauma to the ones they abruptly leave behind. This list features individuals who went through great lengths and employed shocking methods when making their unexpected exit from this life. Here are the five strangest suicides ever reported. Number five, Philip Markoff. Sometimes the weight of guilt gets so heavy that it pushes people to do the unthinkable. Philip Markoff was no ordinary man. Dubbed as the Craigslist killer, the New York native was in prison after being charged for multiple crimes of robbery and murder. He allegedly met his victims, most of whom were women, through ads placed on the aforementioned website Craigslist. He was charged for the killing of a woman believed to be offering erotic massage services in 2009. 
Armed with damning evidence, police arrested the 24-year-old medical student on April 20, 2010 in Walpole, Massachusetts. His trial was originally planned to begin in July of 2010, but due to several legal issues, it was delayed to March of 2011. During that time, he was detained in Boston's Nashua Street Jail, where he awaited the trial, and it was in this prison system that the tragedy occurred. On August 10, 2010, Markov skillfully extracted a blade from one of the disposable razors issued to inmates. He then attached it to a pen, practically making it into a makeshift knife. With the tool in hand and his sufficient medical knowledge, he went on to cut the major arteries of his neck, thighs, and ankles. Interestingly, he then covered his wounds with plastic wrap to make it harder for medical rescue to identify the sites of the wounds. Markov proceeded to stuff wads of toilet paper down his throat. His purpose was apparently to make it impossible for rescuers to do resuscitation in order to save his life. To ensure the success of his plan, the yet-to-be-convicted man pulled a plastic bag over his head and wrapped himself tightly in a blanket. With these multiple methods, the Craigslist killer ultimately died. His death was not immediately found out. It wasn't until after several checks on his cell that a deputy sheriff overseeing the jail noted that the inmate's position in bed never changed. This prompted him to go inside and check the suspected murderer who, at that time, was already dead. On the wall of his cell, Markov had written the name of his ex-fiancee using his blood. Several photographs showing them together were scattered on the floor as well. The deceased was supposed to marry the woman. However, months after he was arrested is when they split up. Number 4. Howie Montag For most of us, anything illogical is preposterous. This is exactly the reason why artists are often viewed as strange. Sometimes, however, their work won't be the only thing that is strange about them. Apparently, even the way they want to go is powerful enough to send a chill up our spine. Back in the 1980s, the club was a popular spot for partygoers in New York City, and everyone who went to them knew the name Howie Montag. He wasn't a celebrity, but famous nonetheless. He was a doorman to several of the city's affluent clubs like Hurrah, Dance Terria, Studio 54, and The Palladium. Taking advantage of the fame tied to his name, he went on to establish his own roving cabaret review called No Entiendes. No Entiendes was no ordinary club as well, and it happened to host some of the most memorable parties ever held in New York, including the event in which a young Madonna performed the music video for her song Everybody for the very first time. Montag eventually became the panel director of the New Music Seminar, a music conference and festival in New York, and it was around this time that the public found out about his predicament that he had been diagnosed with AIDS. In June of 1991, the former club bouncer invited 20 selected guests over to a party. It was a gathering like nothing else, it was held at Montag's loft apartment in the Bowery neighborhood of Manhattan. 
Aside from the guests present, Madonna, who was then at the peak of her fame, joined the occasion, albeit via a telephone call from L.A. At the event, when everyone was having a good time, in front of the crowd, Montag swallowed five seconal barbiturate pills. This was practically a celebration of his suicide. He went into a deep, labored sleep, but kept breathing, much to the disappointment of his guests. Yet the people chose to stick around through the night. He was furious when he woke up the next morning. He told everyone to go home, and once he was by himself, he swallowed 20 more of the same drug and died within the next 30 minutes. Montag never married and was survived by his mother and sister. Following his death, the NMS inaugurated the Howie Montag New Music Awards in his honor. Number 3. Grant Thompson When Grant Thompson was four years old, his mother took him to the Austin Zoo. That visit sparked his burning passion for animals, and from that point on, young Grant would always be found with all sorts of creatures. Such was his obsession that he would bring his pets wherever he went, whether to school, to the mall, or even to church. His obvious fascination led him to become an animal expert even at a young age. It became his hobby to find and rescue helpless animals. He even volunteered to work for a pet store that his mother owned. There, his lifelong love of animals burned even greater. People from everywhere would flock to this little shop to seek advice on treating and caring for animals. Ironically, it turns out that this special relationship he shared with them would help bring about his eventual death. On July 4th, 2015, in a parking lot somewhere in North Austin, Texas, Thompson was discovered in a state of cardiac arrest. Medical responders who came to the scene found him riddled with bites from a monocle cobra, which he had taken from their pet store. The report from his autopsy indicated that the young man had not shown any typical defensive wounds common in people who were being attacked by snakes. There wasn't even an indication that he pulled away from the attacks of the reptile at all. Like most of its kind, the monocle cobra's venom causes full-body paralysis, which would quickly progress to respiratory failure and eventual death. Thompson probably died within just 30 minutes after he incurred the cobra's bite. The same autopsy report confirmed that the young man committed suicide by letting the cobra bite him several times. Investigators surmise that the cobra that bit Thompson escaped from the door he intentionally left open for that purpose. When they recovered the animals on site, authorities had to deal with another snake and a cluster of tarantulas he brought and kept in the back of his car. The cobra was later found dead on a street, having been run over. His obituary read, Grant died surrounded by animals that intrigued and fascinated him. He is survived by his mother and her husband, as well as a sister and two step-siblings. Number 2. Boyd Taylor The notorious killing machine used during the French Revolution, the guillotine, was used to behead thousands of people 
both commoners and those with royal blood. King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette were among those whose heads rolled into the bucket. The use of such equipment has since been banned, at least officially. In Northumberland, a county in northeast England, a man named Boyd Taylor spent around three months to construct a guillotine inside his bedroom. His homemade version was rather more modern, as it was fitted with a timer. The son of a construction firm owner, Taylor showed his affinity for structure and mechanism in this rather tragic piece of work. He weighted the angled blade of his eight-foot-high, three-foot-wide killing machine with a paving slab that further ensured its lethality. Its blade was hoisted and tied in place using a wire. Along its beam was installed an electrical jigsaw which in turn was connected to a timer. When triggered, the jigsaw would cut the wire, allowing the blade to fall. Another string was tied in the path of the guillotine blade. This was connected to a hammer, which would swing and hit the timer's switch. Such intricacies were finally put into action on January 8, 2003. On that day, Taylor swallowed 12 sleeping pills at once. He did so to make sure that he would be deeply unconscious throughout the process. He went on to activate the timer and lie down on his bed. At around 3 o'clock in the morning, the guillotine's heavy blade came crashing down onto the man's bed. He died instantly. His father Robert found his decapitated son lying in a pool of blood. The incident was reported and local authorities went to the man's remote home in Melbourne, Northumberland. They investigated the circumstances surrounding the 36-year-old's death and confirmed no foul play. There are no suspicious circumstances, the police said. Although it was treated as a bizarre suicide, they still tried to establish whether the blade fell as triggered or as a result of an accident. Number 1. R. Bud Dwyer R. Bud Dwyer will always be remembered for his life's final act, which the press called the Super Bowl of Suicides. Dwyer, born in St. Charles, Missouri, built his political career in Pennsylvania. In 1964, he ran under the Republican banner and was elected to the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, serving that office until 1970. He was re-elected on that same year. A decade later, the public servant decided to go on a state level and ran for Pennsylvania treasurer in 1980. He won and was re-elected to the seat four years later. During his term, Pennsylvania officials uncovered some financial discrepancies. They found out that some of the state workers had overpaid millions of dollars in taxes in federal insurance contributions. A number of top accounting firms across the country that time competed for a multi-million dollar contract which would determine the rebates to be paid to each employee. The winning bidder was a California-based tech firm that was owned by a Pennsylvania native. Months later, Pennsylvania Governor Dick Thornburg got an anonymous tip indicating allegations of bribery. 
According to the memo, the treasurer awarded the contract to the firm in exchange for a $300,000 kickback. The accused, along with several others, denied the charges. Curiously, the deal never went through. Despite this turn of events, though, Dwyer was still charged with receiving a bribe. Should he be proven guilty, he could face a possible 55-year jail sentence. Amidst the controversy, the politician maintained his innocence. Then on December 18, 1986, Dwyer was found guilty on charges including conspiracy, mail fraud, perjury, and interstate transportation in aid of racketeering. He was scheduled for sentencing on January 23rd of the next year. The day before he was to be sentenced, the former Pennsylvania senator called for a press conference in Harrisburg. He read a prepared speech during the occasion, and no one had a clue what was about to come until he reached the part in which he said, Please leave immediately if you have a weak stomach or mind, since I don't want to cause physical or mental distress. In front of the media crowd with cameras flashing and rolling, the father of two removed a manila envelope from under the podium. Inside was a 357 Magnum revolver. The sight of the blue-steeled weapon sent the audience into panic mode. His aides beside him could be heard pleading for him to drop the gun, but his mind was clearly already set. On January 22, 1987, with the nation practically watching, Bud shoved the barrel into his mouth and tripped the hammer. Such was the force of the gun that he was knocked all the way back against the now bloodstained Pennsylvania state flag. He eventually fell onto the floor, his blood flowing like a stream. In light of the incident, one of the witnesses used by the prosecution came to the fore to admit having lied in his testimony. Up to this day, many believe in Dwyer's innocence. Meanwhile, since he was still in office at the time of his death, his family was given the full survivor benefits, totaling more than $1 million. Many of his friends believe that Dwyer may have committed the shocking act to ensure the financial security of his family, considering that their finances have been ruined by legal defense costs. Meanwhile, the footage of R. Bud Dwyer's public suicide can still be found online. So there were the five strangest suicides ever reported. Suicide is a permanent choice, and though life can get extremely difficult to deal with at times, there will always be a better solution. Talk to someone, ask for help, and choose life. If you guys enjoyed watching this video, then please subscribe to our channel and check out our Patreon page, where each week you can get a new exclusive video just for you. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you soon.